My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends? Oh, I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you. Doesn't matter where I'm coming from. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me nicely at Jim Kramer. To nest or not to nest? Is that really the question? This is a tricky moment. The stock market's had an enormous run from the bottom. The Dow gaining another 476 points today. S&P jumping 1.39%. NASDAQ climbing 1.56%. Bye, 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 bye. But the vaccine situation is still fluid, and we don't know when we'll be able to safely reopen. Why does this matter? Because the nesting stocks, that's what we call them, are starting to falter. We're all itching to get out and once safe to travel again. Uh, that The whole segment of the economy is going to catch fire the same way the Roaring Twenties followed the Spanish flu pandemic. So suddenly people want to invest in the reopening stocks. And yes, they want to sell, sell, sell the stocks that are involved with nesting at home. I think that may be a mistake. Too simple. At the end of the day, companies are not static beasts. Uh, that includes both the nesting place and the reopening place. They're not sitting there saying, oh, let's make some hay when the sun shines, but then we're going to be big losers. Their CEOs are taking actions to ensure they come out of this crisis in better shape than they came in, which means their stocks aren't necessarily sales. So let me give you some examples of both the reopening plays and the nesting names. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, anyone who's watched the show knows I've been recommending Disney and Boeing for months. Why? Because they're household names that will make a killing once we beat COVID. Going to Disney World is an all-American vacation. It's practically a rite of passage. I almost said rites of passage, like I'm some fancy French guy. Rite of passage. I've been over uh, a dozen times I've been to Disney World and always going by plane, and usually a Boeing. Both companies have been hard hit by the pandemic. Disney makes movies. Well, people aren't going to movies. Uh, they have cruises. People aren't cruising. They have Sports Channel. The sports were canceled. They have theme parks that can't make money without big crowds at a time when crowds are super spreader events. As for Boeing, I mean, who the heck wants to buy airplanes when nobody's flying? So did they just sit there and take a beating? No, the opposite. Both companies adapted. Disney doubled down on their new streaming service, Disney Plus, to reach viewers stuck at home. Wow, what a home run. It basically became the ultimate nesting stock. But you never forget what could become once the country reopens. Meanwhile, management cut costs aggressively, and that, that's going to mean that the margins are going to explode higher when things go back to normal. And that's what those big uh, hotshot Wall Street guys really love. Now, uh, that, that's why Disney stock is up huge today. Sooner or later, we know the world will reopen, and Disney will be ready. To nest or not to nest? It's barely the question. How about Boeing? This morning, they announced what's basically a big financing deal. They're borrowing $9.8 billion, I'm sorry, billion, to repay higher interest debt. That will make it easier for them to get through what are hopefully the final months of the pandemic. But like Disney, Boeing was always going to make a comeback once people can travel again. And I expect a ton of travel because people are going stir crazy right now all over the world. And they've also got a lot of discretionary income saved up in, in this country, especially because there's been a year we haven't been able to do anything. If there's a travel boom once you reopen, and I tell you there will be, the airlines, well, they always need planes. And Boeing's got all the inventory they need, and then some. The company reported a hideous quarter last week, one of the biggest misses of the year. Maybe one of the biggest misses I've ever seen. But the stock barely got hit because investors are looking to the future. The important thing, though, is that Disney and Boeing use this time to improve themselves. So they'll be in better shape when we go back to normal. 
On the other side of this false dichotomy, you've got nesting names that did the same thing. Look at Amazon and Alphabet this very evening. We think of Amazon as a nesting stock because when people stop shopping in person, they default to e-commerce. If half the country gets vaccinated by May, will they start shopping back at those stores again? Or have we discovered that time spent at the store is time wasted? Well, Amazon just reported arguably the best quarter I've Maybe I've ever seen versus expectations. And the guidance was bullish, too, confirming that it's a post-nesting trade. Highly unusual to get both, by the way. Why is the stock getting hit then? Because Jeff Bezos is stepping down as CEO, although he's going to stay on as executive chairman. Andy Jassy of Amazon Web Services is taking the reins. I'm a huge fan of Jassy, been on the show, and of Web Services, where it all happens. Bezos is admittedly irreplaceable, but he's executive chairman. And with Jassy, maybe you're getting a twofer. I'll take it. How about Alphabet? I know you call it Google, but I'm calling it Alphabet. This is widely viewed as a nesting play because we're so reliant on the Internet right now. But at the end of the day, Alphabet's biggest business is still Google and Google's hostage to advertisers. Normally, they make a lot of money from travel and leisure ads. But all those ads disappeared thanks to COVID. So when we reopen and all those lucrative travel ads come back, Alphabet should be able to make a killing. Alphabet's latest quarter shows you how hard it is to pigeonhole an amazing company. Tonight, we saw a new reporting structure that actually shows off the strong growth of Google Cloud. I think they're spending aggressively. They're not making much money. They're not making anything yet, but don't worry. It's early. My favorite part, YouTube. We spend too much time talking about the decline of broadcast and not enough time talking about the rise of YouTube, which is where the money seems to be going. Bravo on a clean, strong beat. With, wow, beautiful margins. I mention these two because tomorrow there'll be people telling you that the nesting trade is over. Yeah, you need to dump Alphabet. You should sell Amazon. Their stocks might even get hit. The way United Parcel temporarily sold off today after a tremendous quarter. More on that when we speak to CEO Carol Tomei. But it's not nesting versus reopening stocks. Don't believe what Wall Street says. It's about good management versus bad management. Disney, Boeing, Amazon, Alphabet, they're well run. Now, maybe you don't care about this rotation. You might be caring. Maybe you're more focused on Reddit and Robinhood. When I came back from surgery, I urged you to consider that death match a sideshow. That's why I told you to look for larger themes last night. Actual long-term stories where you're betting on something more than substantial in the short squeeze. Boy, did a lot of those stocks go up. Holy cow. Remember, you want theme stocks, not meme stocks. I got a meme myself, so I know how ridiculous they are. Some of these theme stocks have a, a, a real tight thesis attached. And some of the memes do, too. But let's take one, AMC. AMC's a reopening trade, right? The movies. But maybe movies aren't the most popular destination when the world goes back to normal. Maybe we drop the ball with the vaccines again and the whole trade sputters. Maybe film has permanently lost market share to video games after a year of gaming. At the end of the day, I'm not interested in AMC because it's a poorly run company. Oh, it's trying its best. But with a lousy balance sheet, you can do better. That's why I've spent the whole pandemic searching for companies that have reinvented themselves, making things better, not just the ones taking advantage of a temporary boost, whether from the lockdowns to the reopening. I'm worried about some of the companies that have made huge money in the pandemic, like Pfizer, which may not have a second act once we're all vaccinated. But I never worry about a company like Apple, own it, don't trade it, because it's always been about making the best product for the consumer, regardless of what happens with the pandemic. That never goes out of style. The bottom line, rather than swapping out of the nesting stocks and into the reopening place, you want stocks of well-run companies that can keep working, even if it takes longer than expected for us to get vaccinated. If you buy the best of breed, they'll adapt to anything, including the long-awaited conclusion of the worst pandemic in decades. Let's take some calls. I say we start with Dadrian in Ohio. Dadrian! 
Hey, how you doing? I love the show. I dig the show. I got a question for you, Jim. Here we go. What do you sure, think Chief, about the company up? affirmed? What do I think about uh, affirmed? Bye, think bye, about- bye, 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 bye. Why? Because people don't like banks. Younger people don't like banks. They like to get bargains. They like to feel like, you know what? I'm part of a club of people who are doing better financial tech. This is a primo financial tech company. Only $27 billion. That's crazy. Deserves to go higher. I like your I like your mojo. Can I go to Jack in Pennsylvania, please, Jack? Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Jim, go Eagles. Go Birds. Jim, New coach. I like him. Uh, do you do? That's what I'd like to hear. That's what I'd like to hear. Frank Wright um, coaching Jim, tree. What more can you ask for? Go ahead. That's true. That's true. Uh, Jim, GE reported earnings two weeks ago. I know it's not the GE of old, but where do you think the company is headed moving forward? Thank you. I think it was a remarkable quarter. I, I never thought they could make anybody even win. I never thought that. I mean, healthcare was always good. I figured that. But what I'm really impressed by is how much money they are going to make in aerospace. And what Larry Culp has done is he's fixed the balance sheet. He's playing offense. He's actually making some small acquisitions. And you know what? The stock was up almost 5% today. It's at 11. It, we sold it too soon for action alerts. I feel badly about that. Why? Because I think Larry Culp's got a real juggernaut going here. Call me a buyer of GE. Let's take one more. Let's go to John in Maryland. John. Hey, Jim. Uh, as my father-in-law would say from Philly, uh, Booyakasha. <laughs> I so, like hey, that. That, guy got, that. That guy's got horse sense. What's up? <laughs> Hey, my question is about Novavax, N-V-A-X. As you know, Novavax recently announced its preliminary results uh, from its final phase trial in the U.K. uh, that demonstrates its coronavirus vaccine is more than 90% effective. Uh, My wife and I purchased some stock with the advice of my father a few years ago and weathered the storm when Novavax was almost delisted from the NASDAQ. Um, Since it received Operation Warp Speed funding in the recent news out of the U.K., uh, our stock has skyrocketed approximately 3,700%. Should I ring the cash register and sell or hold on to the stock as it finishes its phase three U.S. trial uh, and ramps up its production of its vaccine of up to 2 billion doses a year? Well, first, I want to congratulate Stan Erke. He did an unbelievable job. A lot of people doubted him at some time when the stock was pretty low. At the same time, we care about prudence. We care about making money. I want you to sell half, let the rest run. And uh, Stan, you know what? You had them all on the run. You really did. You said you could deliver, and you have. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be prudent. You don't have a gain until you take something. Thank you for the kind words, Lot Philadelphians, today. But remember, it's not nesting versus reopening stocks. That's just Wall Street speak. It's about good management versus bad management. I mean, money tonight. Chipotle can certainly fill a burrito. But can it fill your portfolio with profits? I've got the CEO after earnings. And online sales are surging. So can UPS continue to deliver? I've got the exclusive fresh off the company's report. And all aboard! I'm sitting down with the CEO of Norfolk Southern. And i got to tell you something. I think you're going to like what you hear. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? 
Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. All right, what do we make of these numbers from Kramer Fave Chipotle? One of the biggest winners of the COVID era. A year ago, this was an $867 stock. We were pounding the table at $300, but now it's a $1,523 stock, reaching a new all-time high earlier today. Now, when the pandemic hit, Chipotle doubled down on its digital and drive-through initiatives. Yes, these guys figured out technology. They were way ahead of the competition. But have their rivals started catching up? When Chipotle reported tonight, the stock dropped. Why? Because the results, uh, they fell mildly short, some admittedly high expectations, certainly against last year's comparable sales. The earnings came in 25 cents short. They had a 5.7% uh, same-store sales growth. Wall Street wanted 6%. Greedy Wall Street. All told, the results were still pretty darn great. 177% digital growth? But the stocks had a huge run. The quarter was good. And maybe that should be enough. Maybe you get a chance to buy a lower. So uh, what do we do now? Let's take a closer look with Brian Nickel. He's the chairman, CEO, and competitive player from Chipotle. To learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed, Mr. Nickel, welcome back to Man Money. Great to be back, Jim. So, Brian, finish a, a quarter that is difficult to discern because there's so many different moving parts. And look, could I focus on the fact that comparable store sales uh, were not exactly what I wanted or not a blowout? No, I'm going to focus on this. You have come through the most difficult time that a restaurant chain has ever come through. And I think you are ready whether we nest, whether we don't nest. And I say that because digital sales grew 177%. They now account for 49% of your business. I mean, what can you do for an encore with those numbers? Yeah, look, we're very proud of the way uh, Chipotle handled all of 2020, the fourth quarter included. Uh, to your point, there were a lot of ups and downs. Unfortunately, there was that surge with COVID. But, uh, you know, I think it really demonstrates the resiliency of Chipotle and the power of our digital business um, that we can lean on when we need to. And then I'm really optimistic about 2021. And when we get to a place where we can start reopening dining rooms and, uh, you know, continue to build on the strength, frankly, of our digital system and our great food proposition. Well, let's talk about the great food proposition. In the end, what drives uh, people to Chipotle, of course, is food with integrity and the fact that it's an unbelievable bargain. Uh, do you think people are going to want to come back and sit down, or do you think that they've gotten used to the Chipotle and they've gotten used to your excellent delivery? And when people come into the restaurant, do they make? Do you make more money on those customers than you do on a delivery or Chipotle? No. So actually, the best transaction uh, from a margin standpoint, Jim, is the order ahead uh, and pickup transaction, followed by in-store and then delivery. Um, and to answer your question, I do think people are still going to want to have a great seat. They're still going to want to have that occasion where they can sit down, enjoy their burrito or bowl with a friend or family. Um, not to say that the occasions of off-premise, order ahead, I think are going anywhere. So I really think this is going to be an and situation for Chipotle going forward. And uh, that's why I have so much optimism about where we're headed in 21. Many uh, companies in your business are in retreat. They're trying to figure out how to make their model work, uh, what stores to close. Uh, really, what, what, what is their raison d'etre? I see you growing. I see a balance sheet that's extraordinary. I see a financial juggernaut. But most importantly, I see people who want to work more for Chipotle than everybody else. So could you be in expansion mode in 2021? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, th I think we've talked about this uh, numerous times and we shared this today. You know, we plan on opening 200 and hopefully more than 200 restaurants in 2021, which would be you know, a real exciting thing for us to return back to 200 plus openings. Uh, and then to your point, we just did a uh, real coast to coast hiring uh, push where we were looking for 15,000 
uh, new employees. And I got to tell you, the applicants were really strong, lots of people applying, and they want to be a part of a company that's got a purpose. Specifically, our purpose is cultivating a better world, and we do it through our food with integrity. Uh, and so we're really optimistic about the new units we're going to be building, the new employees we're going to be bringing in, and then the growth opportunities for existing employees. So there's a lot to be excited about, Jim. You, you've got a big Super Bowl ad coming up. And apropos of what you're just talking about, you care. There are things you care about. I, I've noticed, Brian, when I talk to younger people, or you call them Robin or whatever, they first want to say, what is that company doing good for people? And then they're interested in how the company does. And then I'm talking about same store, 6% versus 5.7. Talk to me about your Super Bowl ad. Talk to me about what you're doing for farmers who we know are a dying breed without the help of people like Chipotle. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Jim. What, what we continue to hear from uh, our customers and our young customers is they feel good about being a part of the brand. They feel good about eating our food. And, you know, we wanted to make sure we could share with everybody, and the Super Bowl is a great platform to share this with everybody, the things that we are committed to, whether it is the way that we want animals raised, that the way that we want to help local farmers, the way that we would like to support regenerative farming, uh, and then everything around that, which I think is ultimately better for the planet, as well as better for the food system and the food that we all eat. So uh, we thought, you know, let's take advantage of this big stage and let's talk about what makes Chipotle unique and our different point of view on uh, the right way to handle food. We've got a, a lot of news about delivery. We had a Uber buying uh, a Drizzly, kind of interesting deal. Uh, you're able to drive a hard bargain, whether it be with the real estate investment trusts who now need you and need your Chipotle, whether it be the delivery people. Can we see gross margins actually go up on delivery? Uh, maybe each store have an even bigger average unit profit return because of some of the hard bargains you can drive? Yeah, look, I think one of the things we said to ourselves in 2020 was we wanted to make sure that we uh, pivoted to the digital channel. We, you know, grew that share of the delivery business. And then we said, look, we'll figure out the economics going forward. And I think we've done a nice job of capturing that delivery business. And then I think I've talked about this. We've been, frankly, working with our partners on how do we get the economics right going forward? And we're testing menu pricing service fees. Obviously, uh, these contracts are ongoing negotiations, but uh, we're pretty optimistic about our delivery economics normalizing and just being a, a, you know, a positive contribution to our system and something that we continue to give customers access to when they want that occasion. Now, it's going to come with a higher price than other channels, uh, but the good news is we've got the Chipotle channel. We're testing a car side pickup channel. You got the order and head pickup channel, and you got the come in the restaurant uh, channel. So we think the whole suite of that gives people the access they want, when they want it, how they want it. And uh, we're very optimistic about um, where we can go from here. You know, and I, I think we talked about this, you know, our January business, I just think shows the strength that Chipotle has. Remember, we're rolling over in January, double digit comps with double digit comps in a COVID environment. So, um, you know, I think the engine is revved up. Uh, I'm excited about where we're going. Obviously, I really hope uh, COVID gets controlled, the vaccine program rolls out, and uh, you know, kind of on we go with uh, moving past the current pandemic. 
Well, it's the one and only. Uh, don't, we want more carne asada. We love Chipotle. We love Brian Nickel, Chairman CEO of Chipotle. Thank you for all you're doing for the farmers and for all the people who are your customers and most importantly, the people who work with you. Brian Nickel, CEO, Chipotle, CMG. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, after a strong top and bottom line beat, what's next up for UPS? The CEO joins Kramer after reporting to find out if the company can keep delivering profits. Big Brown finally delivered. For years, United Parcel has failed to capitalize on what should be a booming holiday season. They could never seem to catch up with the stunning growth of e-commerce. High quality problem. But UPS is now under new management with the uh, bankable Carol Tomei at the helm. And the last time she spoke to us, she told us the company would be ready for the holidays. Sure enough, when the company reported this morning, they posted a monster 52 cent earnings beat off of a $2.14 basis, higher than expected sales, much higher, up 21% year over year, and a boom in packages from small and medium-sized businesses, their bread and butter. In response, the stocks jumped 2.5% today, although it's still down 10% from its highs. Those were just in October, but that was, of course, before we all got the positive vaccine news. I think the future looks bright here, but do not take it from me. Let's check in with Carol Tomei, the terrific new CEO of United Park. Yet a better reading reporter, Ms. Tomei. Welcome back to me, buddy. It's so great to see you, Jim. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, Carol. Thank you for asking. How have you been? Still having a good time? Still having a great time. Thank you. Well, Carol, you use a, 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 a term, and I know you're a precise person because I know when you were CFO of Home Depot, you've always been no-nonsense. You're saying that UPS is at a turning point. Some people feel, well, wait a second. I mean, how much more money can really be made? That turning point to me says that Carol Tomei believes this is the beginning, not the end of the transformation. It's just the beginning. I was so delighted to see our team post terrific results. You know, for the first time in a long time, our revenue grew, grew faster than our volume. That's what we mean when we say better, not bigger. And we were able to do that while delivering excellent service in this holiday big time. And I was really happy with the productivity that we showed on the bottom line. So we are positioning this company for some really great things. In fact, we told everybody this morning, while it's a little bit rocky out there, we're not sure where the economy is going, we know that we can grow our U.S. domestic operating margin in 2021. And we're planning to do just that. Well, let's talk about that, because I know there were some people I was listening to the, the, the cadence of the comps call. Uh, revenue per piece increased 7.8%. That's the highest UPS has achieved in 10 years. Uh, but you also talk about cost per piece increasing by 8.2%. So some people are saying, well, you can't make that up in volume. What I hear you just say, Carol, is, is that you should be expecting that the revenue per piece could go up or that the cost could go down and that that is at the essence of the leverage moment for UPS. That's exactly right. You know, there were some one-time expense items this quarter that won't repeat into next year. And as we look at next year, you're going to see revenue per piece go up and cost per piece go down so that we can grow the operating margin. I'm really excited about what we're going to do from a customer service uh, perspective to continue to get stickiness with our customers that we want to serve, as well as drive productivity in the business. 
All right, let's talk about the, that phrase, let's parse that, customers we want to serve. You know, and, and I told people, don't, don't even, you know, the media makes some things up, but you know that there were people, ABC News, at CNBC, saying that you temporarily stopped collecting orders from six retailers after exceeding delivery capacity. The Kautame I know is doing things that is contrary to what these articles say, basically just saying, listen, we're going to do business with you, but we have to make money too, because it's a partnership. Are the partners living up to expectations? Our partners are living up to their expectations. I just have to give a shout out to our customers. You know, there's a demand supply imbalance in the small package market here in the United States. There's more demand than capacity. So we've been working with our customers for months to prepare for the holiday peak season. And our customers worked with us. So in each of the seven weeks of our holiday peak, we had the highest service ever and higher than our competitors. And that's good news for our customers because if your service level fails, you fail their customer. That man or woman or child who has ordered their holiday gift. Well, we delivered with 97% service levels. That's a record. 97%, people were saying it was much lower than that. They also said that maybe you alienated a Nike, a Gap or a Macy's. I don't know. I mean. How do you alienate uh, Carol Tomei? I don't think anybody alienated anybody here. Uh, these people are all with you, and Amazon's even bigger than ever. Yeah, no, we saw great growth of our enterprise customers, and our enterprise customers are the large retailers. In fact, if we look at our enterprise customers, our top 20 customers, and they make up most of our volume in the holiday peak season, they grew on average 14%. I think that's pretty good. I think it's darn good. But the number that really kind of blew me away, I'm used to seeing, frankly, during a period when we had uh, frosty results, uh, frosty relations with a lot of other countries, that I always used to cringe international revenues. What's it going to mean politically? 26.8%. How did you do that? There was great demand for our Worldwide Express product, which allows uh, our customers to ship in one day to various countries around the world. So we were delighted to be able to secure enough aircraft to support that demand. Uh, Carol, how about uh, getting, re- getting the vaccine to where it has to go? It, it, tremendous job. Yeah. Some of them have to be uh, shipped to temperatures that are uh, in, insane. Uh, the, the, the whole logistic nature, because you are the king of logistics, to get it to where it has to go, how are we doing? Are we doing it right? So it's a complicated supply chain. There's the um, the supply chain that delivers the raw materials to the manufacturers to make the vaccines. We don't play in that supply chain. Then there's the supply chain that delivers the vaccines from the manufacturers to the dosing organizations. That's where we play. And then there are the dosing organizations that actually administer the vaccine. We don't play in that space either. But in that middle space, I will tell you, I think we're doing a very good job. And I'll give you some data to support that. Since the vaccines were um, allowed to be delivered, we've shipped over 225,000 shipments of vaccines, about 36 and a half million vaccines have been delivered with service levels at 
0.99%. And this is a complicated supply chain, Jim. If you think about how vaccines flow through our network, we pick them up at the manufacturer in a feeder truck. We then put them on a brown tail UPS aircraft and fly them to Worldport, which is our largest air hub. We unpack the vaccines. We admit, uh, process the vaccines at World Hub. We put them back onto feeder aircraft, fly them to their destination city, and then we put them on a UPS brown truck to deliver them to their final location. We do that by monitoring the packages along the way through a new label that has a battery inside the label. So we never lose sight of that package. And we do all of this in 20 hours or less. Well, that's extraordinary, but yeah, I hate to say it. I, I would expect nothing less from Carol Tomei, who's at a turning point. Unbelievable. The, all the work you did is so great at Home Depot, and it's doing even better at UPS. You are a pure joy. Congratulations on getting this company to where we know it can be and far more. Carol Tomei, CEO of UPS, great, great to see you as always. Good to see you too. Thank you. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up. As the pandemic rolls on, the railroads remain steadfast in moving the goods America needs. But as economic uncertainty persists, investors ask, are the rails still worth the ride? Now that the meme stocks have lost their allure, investors are starting to remember that this is earnings season, not GameStop season. And there are a lot of companies that reported really amazing quarters last week, but I don't think they got the respect they deserve. Take one of my longtime favorites, Norfolk Southern, the big railroad that covers the eastern half of the country. Last Wednesday, these guys reported an excellent top and bottom line beat, thanks in part to aggressive cost uh, outs, but also, frankly, they're just running this darn thing better. Uh, it's called precision railroading. Even better management sounded upbeat about the new year. Yet Norfolk Southern stock actually got hammered last week. Well, of course, the whole market sold off. Stock's now up a few bucks thanks to a nice rally over the past couple of days. But uh, this one's got more room to run. I felt that way ever since I first met Jim Squires. Yes, Jim Squires, the chairman and CEO of Norfolk Southern. Find out more about the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Squires, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, Jim, I think we got to answer a conundrum that a lot of the people who watch the show say. Jim, yeah, yeah, yeah. how do you uh, use fewer locomotives? How are you able to make uh, with a, a really a cargo of coal that had been so big, uh, not being uh, up at all? How are you able to make the kinds of numbers you're doing? How can you run a better railroad when Norfolk Southern always was it was always a good railroad? You know, Jim, our, our top line has undergone a remarkable transformation during my career with the company. I started with the company around 25, 29 years ago. At that time, coal was, was more than a third of our top line. Last year, it was 11%, and it'll be less than that this year. The, the company is increasingly a customer products railroad. We haul the things that our economy produces and the things that, are, that people are buying, finished automobiles, consumer goods and intermodal containers, and a variety of other products that feed the consumer economy. I think it's important to point out, Jim, uh, these days a lot of younger viewers watch our show. And what they're saying is, you know, it's not enough uh, if someone has good numbers. I want to hear what they're doing for the environment. I want to hear what they're doing for the workers. Most importantly, I want to know if they're good citizens. When you take freight and you put it on a train, isn't that by far the most environmentally protective way to send something? 
It is. Pound for pound of freight and mile for mile hauled, there is no more fuel efficient mode of ground transportation than a railroad. We pride ourselves on our sustainability track record. And in fact, we are the green mode of, of ground transportation. That's something that we uh, are, are working hard on. We wanna make sure that our investors and all our other stakeholders understand that we provide a sustainable mode of transportation. Now, a lot of people are trying to figure out why people make such a big deal about precision railroading, about operation ratio, the operating ratios. These are important because if they can continue to go down, you just make more money per car load, whatever. Even if the uh, volumes don't pick up, and as you said, they will pick up, you make a lot of money. Can you explain to people, Jim, why it matters that uh, you get these efficiencies and how they can make it so you make a lot of money for shareholders, even if volumes don't go up? Well, you take last year, for example, our revenue was pretty hard hit by, by COVID and its impact on the economy. Nevertheless, by implementing the precision railroading model of operations, we were t- able to take expenses down even more in percentage terms. And the result was a fifth year in a row in which we produced a lower operating ratio and a more uh, profitable company. So that's what precision railroading is all about. Ultimately, and we hope the year will be 2021, we expect to put growth on top of that lower cost structure and produce big bottom line benefits for shareholders. Jim, I saw some numbers, uh, what you're doing with steel, uh, what you're doing with autos, uh, what you're doing with intermodal. Uh, Given the fact that you've been able to shrink costs, I imagine if those of us out there who think the economy is going to be better, there'll be very few companies with the leverage to be able to report unbelievable numbers, given the cost you've taken out and really just how more efficient you really are. Well, if you think about it, with a lower fixed cost base, the additional revenue flows straight to the bottom line. And that's our goal this year. That's our plan to drive shareholder value by putting more revenue through that lower cost base. That is is possible thanks to the new PSR operating model. So with 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 strength in the in the industrial economy as we start out 2021, with a continuing secular shift to our intermodal franchise, and who knows, maybe even some some life in commodities a little bit later in the year. We think this is going to be a great year with some real growth tailwinds. I think it's important to point out, Jim, that you're incredibly shareholder friendly. Will you share uh, some of that bounty if the volumes come back with your shareholders? Absolutely. You know, last year uh, we continued to repurchase our shares. Uh, we did so even in the second quarter uh, as uh, as the uh, the volume and the revenue was trending down dramatically. We continued to repurchase shares. And in fact, in, in the second quarter of last year, we repurchased more shares in dollar terms than the rest of the railroad industry combined. And we'll continue to reward our shareholders uh, with share buybacks and with dividend. In fact, we just recently announced an increase in our tar- target dividend payout ratio from 33% to 35 to 40%. Well, I've got to tell you, those are the things that tell me that you're uh, a big believer that things are going to just get better in terms of that operating ratio. I agree with you. I share your optimism about the country and the volumes. And most importantly, I salute you for what you've been able to do with a very well-run railway that I think is the best I've ever seen it run. Jim Squires, Chairman, President, CEO of Norfolk Southern. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Mad Money's back after the break. 
Coming up. It is time. Kramer takes your calls. Rapid fire. The lightning round is next. It is time. It is time for the lightning round. Because you know it's about rapid calls. One of the same stocks. Just being able to get on the plane is and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Top of the lightning round. You know what we're going to do? We're going to start with Brian in New Jersey. Brian! Jim, we're coming off three-month lows on Con Ed. What do you think? You know, it's down too much. I've been thinking about the same thing. I think rates have backed up enough, and it's not bad of a little Con Ed buying. It just, you know, I do prefer American Electric Power, but I think you got to go. But let's go to uh, Jacqueline in New Jersey. Jacqueline. Hey, Jim. Missed you so much. I have a stock uh, that I think I'm getting. Good. I'm on the men. Thank you so much. I'm on the men. We missed you. I want to know Thank about you. ticker W-I-M-I. It's a Chinese company, so I don't know because you don't really care for them, and I'm trying to... Uh, well, Jacqueline, it's too hard. I mean, look, I... Yeah, I got my cross the bear there uh, with the uh, JD and, and, and with the Alibaba. We're gonna take a bit. We're gonna take a hard pass on Wimmy hologram. But thank you so much. Let's go to Jeff in California. Jeff. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Great to be on your show today. Thank you so much. I'm calling from downtown oh, LA. Thank you. Hey, my group of. All right. Yes, yeah, beautiful down here. Hey, my group of investors did take your advice a few weeks ago. We bought a ton of Zoom videos. It seems like it's going up and up almost every day. Zoom in, zoom in, baby. Hey, Jim, <laughs> there's, a, there's another stock that I'm really excited about that has numbers that are just crushing it even better than Tesla. It's only 30 bucks a share, and in three months, this stock is up 224%, and the last year, the stock's up 1,520%. It's an electric vehicle stock with little or no competition, because all they do is make EV vans, shuttle buses, and school buses. The stock is called Green Power GP. Buy, sell, right. Well, we got to be careful. Green Power, you know, Green Power. They had, they made 18 uh, million uh, revenue. They don't have any earnings. Uh, this group is very, very hot. It's a crowded group. I, look, I, it's a good spec. It's up a lot, but it doesn't have that earnings growth that you really, really, really want to have. So I'm going to just say it's just okay. Let's go to Robert in Maryland. Robert. Booyah, the chill man is back. What's up, Jim? We missed you. I, I, I've never been so chill. I, I, I feel like I, I, kind of like a Madison good thing going on. And not Lincoln. That's too high. What's happening? <laughs> hey, so I wanted to um, ask about this drone stock. I know you're not big into Chinese stocks, but this one, I bought it at 25 last month. Then I sold it at 38 and rode off into the sunset. Then it went up like 300%. Um, I bought a little on the pullback. Should I add to my position or wait for Ehang Holdings? Oh, Ehang. Oh, my. I mean, like, Mal must be rolling over his grave. You're making so much. Joe and Lai probably would have bought this one. But I got to tell you, again, I come back and say, you're taking, you talk, talk about risk. Talk about caveat emptor. You are out on a wing without a prayer there, my friend. I'm going to say take some money off the table. We're going to Amit in Maryland. Amit. Hey, Jim. I love your show, man. All right. What's happening? I want to to know what you feel about FIII. Forum. 
Oh, a blank check company. Well, wouldn't you love that? 140 blank check companies. Well, what we're going to do with this particularly blank check company is we're going to find out more about it before we offer an opportunity, uh, judgment because, man, they're too tricky. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Reddit's taken Wall Street for a wild ride. And home gamers want to know if this market's rigged against the little guy. Kramer puts the GameStop saga in perspective so you can protect your portfolio. Next. Is the market rigged? I've been fielding this question for decades, and now with the meme stocks collapsing, it's back in circulation. I hear politicians say the market's rigged. I hear it from regular people. I even hear it from professional money managers. So are they right? Let me tell you a story. Years ago, when I was a reporter covering a crime story in East Texas, I found myself having a cup of joe across the street from a used car dealership. The used car dealership was called the Caveat Emptor. Hey, that's Latin for buyer beware, meaning it's the buyer's responsibility to know what they're getting. And if you walk off the lot with a lemon, that's on you. Just like that used car dealership, the stock market's a caveat emptor institution. When you buy a stock, there's no warranty. It could be broken, overpriced piece of junk that losses uh, most of its value the moment it enters your portfolio. It doesn't matter. You're not getting a refund. When you look at it like that, I think rigged is the wrong word. The truth is the stock market is risky and that risk is not always evenly distributed. Investors with the time to do their due diligence or maybe the money to hire a really qualified money manager, well, somebody or something else that knows things, have an advantage over those who don't. They do. It's a shame, but they do. And those people are less at the mercy of the caveat emptor institution, even though research is much better now and Google, all those other things. I point all this out because individual stocks aren't for everyone. In fact, one of the great draws of an index fund is that it's harder for you to screw up. There's still no guarantee. But when you group 500 stocks together, that's as, as much about protecting you from the 50 clunkers as is when finding the 50 good ones or the handful that drive most of the performance. Think Tesla, Apple, Amazon. Hey, Andy Jassy, congratulations, Microsoft, Netflix. Right now, we're seeing lots of merchandise that's pure caveat emptor. You've got the special purpose acquisition companies that buy electric vehicle startups and seem poised to soar into the stratosphere. Realistic until it isn't. They're eventually become too risky to touch, but we aren't there yet. You got all these companies that make no money and in some cases have no sales. No, not as bad as 2000, despite what you may hear, but it's not great. There are tons of new investors playing uh, around with, with margin, borrowing money to buy stocks, which is just a recipe for disaster. Let's just call it like it is. Uh, just don't do it. At the same time, we have some clever guys on this Reddit, I like Reddit, who figured out that some big fat hedge funds had gotten too greedy uh, betting against GameStop. That was a brilliant trade. But just like the hedge funds, the Wall Street Bets crew, many of them, not all, many didn't know when to stop. If you buy a stock because you're expecting a short squeeze, you have to sell it before the short squeeze comes to an end. The GameStop trade always had an expiration date. Buyer beware. To me, what matters is that you, produ- you protect yourself. Protect yourself from the risk of a caveat empty marketplace. You can diversify your portfolio, exercise discipline. You read the boards too, the homework, pay a broker. I don't know, keep your retirement money in a cheap index fund. There are lots of ways to mitigate that risk. However, if you don't have the time and the inclination to be careful, and you don't know your pain threshold suitability, there's a good chance you'll get beaten like a drum. When that happens, it does feel like the market's rigged, doesn't it? But it's not rigged. 
It's just inherently risky. If you don't go in with your eyes wide open, you're gonna get hurt. Look, I make no apologies for defending an asset class that's made millions of people millions of dollars, but you need to approach stock picking with the same level of skepticism you'd have for that caveat empty used car dealership I saw in East Texas. If you can't do that, you're betting, you're really, you really are. Listen to me, you're better off putting your money in an index fund or hold a lot of cash. So you don't even need to worry about whether it's rigged at all. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.